Welcome to Gathering Gold, a podcast for highly sensitive souls. I'm Cheryl Paul, a counselor trained in the Jungian depth psychological tradition. And I'm Victoria Russell, Cheryl's niece and co-host. This podcast explores some of the themes highlighted in my book, The Wisdom of Anxiety, and my Conscious Transitions blog. Join us as we dive into the realms of our inner worlds to ask deep questions, grow more self-trust and self-love, and embrace sensitivity, creativity, and the rhythms of the natural world. If you would like to connect with me, Victoria, and others in the Gathering Gold listener community and support the podcast to help us continue our work, please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash gatheringgold. To learn more about Cheryl's course offerings, including courses to support you in breaking free from anxiety in all forms, learning to trust yourself, and becoming more comfortable with uncertainty, please visit Cheryl's website, conscious-transitions.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Cheryl is at Wisdom of Anxiety, and I am at Perennials Podcast. Thank you for listening. Our episode today was inspired by our most recent Patreon meetup. I shared a poem, Wild Geese by Mary Oliver, and we used this poem as a writing prompt and reflection prompt. And it brought up a question that Cheryl and I thought would be really interesting to explore more in the podcast. We only talked about it for a few minutes during our meetup. Wild Geese is a very famous poem. It's likely that you've heard at least some of it. I'll read the first just couple of lines. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. I wish I could keep going with the poem, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I guess we don't have permission to share the whole thing. Um, Someone in the Patreon community said, she had some resistance kind of come up around you do not have to be good. And there was this question of, okay, if you don't have to be good, what does that mean? What do you, what should you be? Or Mm. what does it mean to not be good? I used to have some resistance to this poem because even though I thought it was really powerful and beautiful and wise, I felt resistance to this idea of you do not have to be good. Mm -hmm. You do not have to walk on your knees repenting. I was like, yes, I do. That's Mm -hmm. my entire identity. (laughs) Like, I have to be good. What would happen if I wasn't? That's terrifying. Mm -hmm. And I should be repenting. Like, I should be walking on my knees in the desert. Like, Just I should be doing something to try to deserve. Mm. I don't know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. To deserve love, good things. Belonging. Belonging, all of it. Mm -hmm. Which is how she ends the poem. Yes. Belonging. 
And so Cheryl and I just wanted to sit with that question today, wrestle with that question a little bit, dance with that question a little bit today. This idea of you do not have to be good, what does it mean? And why are we afraid of it, some Mm. of us? Mm. I'm really curious, Victoria, how that shifted for you from being something that you were resisting to something because you said in our meeting yesterday, I hear it through a different lens now. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if you can walk us through that shift. I wouldn't say that I'm like fully 100%, oh, that doesn't scare me at all anymore. Mm-hmm. But I would say just over time, in that process of really trying to walk on my knees, whatever that meant, whether it was like sporadically being really restrictive with what I ate to try mm-hmm. to improve my health and then watching these negative impacts come because I wasn't eating enough, <laughs> you know, or I don't know, trying to do every yoga pose perfectly and then like hurting my knees mm-hmm. trying to do that. Um, like just seeing that this idea of good that I had in my head that was so one size fits all and so black and white, mm. just it it's just not attainable. Mm. And also just more and more noticing who benefits from me trying to be good and who doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> Usually like people trying to sell me stuff benefit from me trying to be good or people who want to extract things from me. Mm. And when I say people, I'm thinking about like institutions. Yes. (laughs) And just the fact that it is so often gendered, not always, but there's a very particular like good girl identity that it's scary to question if you've really identified that way and drawn a sense of worthiness and value and lovability from that or a shallow sense of those things from it, mm-hmm. shaky sense. But I guess just over time and over like trying try, through the process of walking on my knees and just seeing like, wait a minute, I don't mm. know, like something's just not right about this. And I guess when I started to pay more attention to the line, you only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Mm. Like that can be a scary line too if you're afraid of your body. But I posted those first few lines on Instagram recently with a picture of this cat um, nestled up against me. I went to the monastery where my grandfather lived for seven years. Um, I went there like seven or eight years ago now and spent a, a weekend there by myself. And I was walking. And there were tons of cats here and there because one of the monks apparently loves cats and would feed the cats. And (laughs) I met this really friendly cat and just sat on the asphalt. And this cat just like laid down, nestled against my legs. Mm -hmm. And I was petting it. And this photo, I I think about it every time I read this poem. Mm. Like you just have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. I just Mm -hmm. picture this cat. (laughs) Mm. just nestled up against me. Mm. And I try to sit with that, like that love 
There's such openness and gentleness and friendliness about this cat. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I hope that answers <clears throat> the question. It does. <laughs> and it's very connected to our last episode on purity and perfection and shame. Yeah. Because I think it's easy to hear that line, you do not have to be good. I think it's fair I hope Mary Oliver is okay with this interpretation, but also you do not have to be perfect, right? So to be a good girl, a good daughter, a good wife, I think is a really short jump to I'm supposed to be a perfect wife, a perfect son, a perfect father, mother, so it's connected to our identities in relationship to others and this striving for perfection that a lot of us try to strive for, as we talked about in the last episode. But I think good on its own is also problematic because good implies bad. Good has an opposite. And so... You do not have to be good. I think some of the fear in that is, wait a minute, but yes, I do. I have to be good because I don't want to be a bad person. And I think it's one of the biggest fears of highly sensitive people is of being found out as being a bad person, a bad daughter, a bad human. And so what do you mean I don't have to be good? I do have to be good. But the way I hear it and I think it becomes clear through the rest of the poem is you do not have to be good because you already are good. You don't have to strive to be good. Like you don't have to try to be tall if you're six feet tall because you just are tall. You don't have to try to be good because you are good and And so I think it's that distinction between we can mess up, we will mess up a lot, we can be human, we can be messy, we can harm, we can be harmed, all of these things, but all of that is separate from who we are as intrinsically good people. And that you are intrinsically worthy of belonging. I was thinking about one of the morning prayers, blessings in Judaism. And we start with modayani, modani, thank you. Basically, thank you for returning my soul to me. And then, Elohai neshama shenatata bi tehorahi is one of the next prayers. And it translates to, O God or Spirit, the soul you have given me, she is pure. And it is in the feminine. She is pure. And so it's like starting out the day with this recognition, the soul, my soul is pure. My soul is good. And I'm going to do all kinds of things that I do today. And some of my actions are good, but they're all well-intentioned. None of us, none of you listening ever set out to harm, ever. 
That's never your intention. And so this layering between if you mess up, if you make a mistake, well, you're still, you're still good. So you, you don't have to be the good girl, the good boy in order to be good. Yeah, I hear that that beginning you who's trying to be good, who's repenting. Mm. I hear as an obedient, fearful, and ashamed person. Yes. But also like someone who doesn't trust themselves. Because letting your letting the soft animal of your body loves what it loves. In involves trust, like you can trust your body to love what it loves, and it and that mm. will be good, mm. and that will be enough, and you will belong. But I think what can be so scary when you've spent a long time, mostly in a place of fear, shame, obedience. Mm. Well, the the opposite in my mind, that Mary Oliver is presenting is being free and loving Mm -hmm. and trusting yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think freedom is really scary to some people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what it is for me anyway. Mm. Like freedom, to me, I equate with being alone. (laughs) I will just be alone. Like if I'm free, I will just be alone. Mm. Interesting equation. Mm-hmm. But if you're following the rules and being good, being a good girl, then you will stay in the tribe. You won't yes. be alone. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm. But if you're doing, if you're following. If you're trusting in the soft animal body to love what it loves, if you're trusting in the body, and now we're tying back to that episode, I feel like this is a synthesis of Mm -hmm. many of our episodes. You do not have to be good, right? That's the striving. That's the ideas we have. That's very much a headspace. You only have to, what is it? Let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Mm-hmm. It's like you can feel the dropping down, mm-hmm. right? You can feel that harsh, stringent, cold voice that we talked about last time in those first few lines. The taskmaster, the punishing. It's very, you're repenting. You're walking on your knees in the desert, repenting. So harsh. Interesting that she uses the word harsh later in the mm-hmm. poem to refer to the sound of geese. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that that next line is so so it's so dropped down. It's so soft. 
And so what you're tapping into, Victoria, is the fear of, uh uh-oh, it's like the free fall. What do you mean? Wait, I don't get the scaffolding of all the rules of being mm-hmm. I, I've, I know that path. I've been studying that path since I was tiny. Mm-hmm. So if I'm not trying to be good and I'm trusting in my body, there is that free fall. And then for you, it sounds like what comes up is, and then I will be alone. Mm-hmm. I won't. I won't, I won't be loved. I won't be accepted. I won't have the place of belonging. Yeah. And I think like a fear of selfishness, just the selfish part will come out who just, just says, no, it's all about me now. I don't, you know, it's just all about me. And Mm -hmm. she also talks about despair and loneliness in this poem. Mm. But in relationship, like, tell me your despair and I'll tell you mine. Mm -hmm. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely the world offers itself to your imagination. Mm. So there's this like, there is that sense of loneliness and despair and shame and fear. But there's this other voice throughout the poem saying like, tell me yours and I'll tell you mine. We are connected. Mm. The geese are calling out to you and announcing your place in the family of things. The last line is in the family of things. Mm -hmm. You're in this family, whether you realize it or not. Mm -hmm. And even if you're super lonely, the world is here for you. You're part of this family. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. I only had a chance to listen to the first few minutes of the podcast you sent me, Victoria, from On Being, where Mary Oliver was interviewed. Mm-hmm. But I look forward to listening to the whole thing. Um, I didn't know much about her. I didn't know that she – sounds like she came from a highly abusive childhood. Yeah. And she says something like, I barely made it out. Yeah. Um, and that it was walking in the woods every day that saved her and connecting to beauty connecting to nature and, of course, poetry. But I can only imagine what her healing journey looked like to come from that level of severe abuse where your whole sense of self-trust and self-love and sense of belonging is completely shattered. For her to come from that and to end up writing the poems that she wrote and to find her way through that she was able to to find her way back really to her own self to her sense of worthiness and belonging she must have really wrestled and battled with whatever messages she had absorbed and the profound level of shame that comes from severe abuse yeah and it's not like she ever professed to be an evolved, enlightened being. Like the reason why her poems speak to so many people is because she names this, these places of "I will tell you about my despair." Yeah, and you tell me yours. And yes, I have despair. And yes, I get lonely. And I also know that 
we're connected to each other, that we have our place of belonging in the family of things. And she said that beauty saved her, the beauty of the world. And she, of course, is the poet who asked in another poem, you know, tell me what it, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? That's mm-hmm. probably her most famous line. Mm-hmm. There's like this invigorating quality and a sensuousness kind of the soft animal of your body, the sun and the rain and the prairies and mountains and rivers and the geese. Mm-hmm calling out to you harsh and exciting like there's this like look at this bountiful world around you Mm. you do not have to walk on your knees in the desert when you are surrounded by this beauty and it's here for you you are part of the family you are not an outcast you are not an exile you do not have to be ashamed you can be part of this family in this beautiful world and it's here for you was so beautifully expressed, Victoria. I have chills. And I'm curious how this lands for you because I know and you've shared how you struggle with that place of shame and deserving. Do I deserve? Isn't it selfish? And yet you're also, there is this other voice in you too that can read this poem and take some of that in. It sounds like. I'm almost like taking it in as I'm saying it. I kind of, it's interesting. I feel like, you know, I majored in English in college and I graduated almost 10 years ago, but reading this poem and doing this kind of close reading Mm. I kind of feel like, oh, yeah, that's like a part of me that lights up a little bit and draws Mm -hmm. gold, you know, when I do that, when I sit with some text. Um, Mm. But I think part of it, too, is I wrestle a lot with the question of what we owe to each other. Um, I mentioned in our bonus episode our most recent one, you and I, for for the Patreon, we talked about books that we read recently. Hmm. And I talked about how to be perfect, mm-hmm. the correct answer to every moral question by Michael Schur, <laughs> who is the creator of The Good Place. And throughout The Good Place, that show, which deals with philosophical questions about what it means to be a good person. How do you get to the good place, Mm. aka heaven? How do you be good? Um, People are constantly trying to figure out what do we owe to each other? To me, I think it's about redefining good. Mm. It still matters very deeply to me how I am in relationship with people. Like genuine kindness, warmth, compassion, empathy. And I guess a more adult version of that is like knowing when to break the rules, knowing which rules you actually believe in, 
knowing like what are the higher rules that you mm-hmm. believe in, mm-hmm. understanding the difference between being nice and being really kind or between being polite and having integrity. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's just striving to come to this more mature, more adult understanding of how imperfect our world is, how imperfect our systems and institutions and rules and laws and all those things are, and at the same time caring very much how I impact other people. Mm-hmm. And trying to find, trying to find my way through all of that. (laughs) Yeah. Does that answer your question or did I evade it at all? (laughs) Well, I loved that you were saying, connecting to this part of you that loves to read a text very closely and that you light up, that there's, you, you, you feel your gold, you feel the gold extracted and you feel your own, your own fire, which I can hear. And I love this too. It brings me back more to high school and sitting around in my small high school English classes, analyzing texts line by line. I wish we could read the whole poem. Yeah. Um, it's kind of agonizing. To <laughs> we probably could, but, probably. Be, but being a very rule-abiding person. <laughs> <laughs> I bet Mary Oliver is looking down on us right now saying, oh, just read the freaking poem. <laughs> probably. Um, but I think what you're saying is also very important in terms of it's not about not wanting to do to do good and not wanting to do right by people towards people. I think it's about intention and it's, I think about those early messages that probably all of us got in some way, either at home or at school or through religion or in the media about being good and the direct message of good job, the whole good job culture, which I've written about in other places, um, I think mostly in my Trust Yourself course. Good job. Oh, look at the tree I painted, mommy. Good job. And so there's this good job, col- and, and I've totally said that to my kids too. So it's it's not like never say that to your kids, but it's the focus on the doing instead of the process. Um, and, and, and kids learn then, oh, I get praised when I come home with three gold stars on my math homework or whatever it is. And it's that externalization of self. And when I hear you do not have to be good, again, it's that you don't have to strive for that kind of perfection. You don't have to strive for somebody's praise for for things that you do because it's a very confusing message then we send to children when we give that kind of praise over and over and over again for achievements instead of 
Well, I really love the way that you use that red next to you know, the orange. Or, or tell me what it was like for you to, to make that. What do you see? So we're getting into, you know, these, the conversation again about self-trust, what happens to self-trust, the, the fear, the resistance to dropping into the body, letting the soft animal body love what it loves, because that's a very internalized state and we have all been taught to externalize that sense of self and that worthiness is attached to our doing and our achievements and our niceness and how well we share our toys and how nice we are to our siblings. And it's not that as parents, we're not constantly working with our children to teach them um, and model, mostly model kindness and empathy but also modeling, daddy and I mess up a lot and you're going to see that and then you're also going to see us making repairs and you're going to see us going to therapy and you're going to see us um, coming to both of you when we mess up and apologizing. So you're going to, our children have seen, modeled, not what it looks like to be perfect, because of course that doesn't exist. But what it looks like to be human and also be continually striving, working with our fallibility, our wounds, the places where we fall short, and theirs too. But it never, ever would affect how much we love our children if they, when they, you know, have messed up or been mean or, you know, acted out in whatever hundreds of ways they've both acted out. The message has never been a withdrawal of love. You know, it, it might be for that moment, if there's a big explosion, we, we all take some space, but then we always come back. And so hopefully the message we have transmitted is you do not have to be good in order to be loved. You do not have to be good all the time. You do not have to be good all the time in order to belong in this family and in the family of things. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking about these recent episodes of the We Can Do Hard Things podcast with Dr. Becky. Did Mm. you listen to them, Cheryl? I haven't, no. Dr. Becky, I think her last name is Kennedy. Um, Last year when I did an episode of Perennials with you about re- about like parenting ourselves as adults, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend of mine said, oh, you have to follow Dr. Becky on Instagram. And mm. she is a psychologist who really focuses on parenting. And I think her new book 
is called Good Inside. And she says, you know, when your kid does something, you know, they hit their brother or whatever, Mm -hmm. you say to yourself, he's a good kid who's having a hard time. Mm -hmm. And then she says, you can say that to yourself as an adult. Mm. I'm a good person who just cut someone off in traffic. Yes. <laughs> and it's so interesting that, again, that word good comes up and it's kind of the way she uses it is the way that you were just talking about it in the beginning. Like, you are good inside, mm-hmm. you know, and how that reframes how we see others and how we see ourselves. And she says, you know, in terms of obedience, like we might want an obedient kid, but do you want your kid to be for the the number one thing about them when they're 30 to be that they're obedient, (laughs) you know, or do you want them to be able to stand up for something when they think it's not right? Mm. When we think about what we would want to strive for communally, and what we want for people like that that definition of good meaning follows the rules doesn't make trouble for people doesn't make anyone uncomfortable mm-hmm. pleases people is selfless doesn't make a fuss like that doesn't necessarily translate into creating the world that we want to live in and that we that we want for everyone else yes and so often the messages that we send children are the opposite of what we would hope for them as adults. Right? Yeah. So expecting them to sit still and be good and pay attention and follow the rules. And even babies, what a good baby. Mm-hmm. She never cries. Mm-hmm. What a good baby. You can bring her to the movies. What a good baby. She's always smiling. I don't think anyone ever told me that I had good babies. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm so proud of that because they made themselves known. And I mean, it's fine. Great. If you have a baby who's just super easygoing, that just happened to not be my children. Um, And that has continued. They make their voices known. And is it uncomfortable sometimes? Yes. But if they don't think something's right or fair, they will tell us. They have a voice. I think that's part of it, is that good boy, good girl, good child archetype or expectation is someone who doesn't really have a voice. Yeah. Right. Follows the rules, follows along, doesn't make waves. And so I think even some of this this poem, even the geese having that voice, yeah, right, yeah. Well, maybe we get to be that heart, that that loud, quacking, squawking. What it was? I don't know. <laughs> what what did geese do? squawking, squawking? <laughs> we get to do that too. We get to squawk, and still be loved. And still find our place in the family of things. And still have our geese tribe. 
Yeah, and find our way with it. Because I think sometimes we can just kind of go to these extremes in our minds of like, oh, if not this, then it, then the polar opposite. And, you know, like within myself as well, I also, I still value like a certain type of humility. Oh, excuse me. I just burped. <laughs> um, repent. Repent. <laughs> How dare my body be a body? <laughs> um, I still value like a certain kind of humility. And I don't mean that in a self-denigrating way. I mean like I I still value respecting other people, like yes. taking, a, taking a beat before you're like, well, I don't agree with that. Like I'm not – I don't want to <laughs> yes. – you know, that's not going to be me. Um, and there are people who are like, you know – they're fiery and they're advocates at heart and they are super comfortable making people uncomfortable. And like, we all have our mm-hmm. role to play in the dynamic. But, you know, we we did something at work, like a find your superpower, almost like a game. And like, one of my top three was being a harmonizer. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's wrong, you yeah. know? I just think it's like finding a relationship with those things that feels good. Absolutely, yes. And that isn't like self-sacrificial. Yes, and coming from that submissive, compliant. And the fear of punishment. I was saying Mm -hmm. to you the other day, I've been thinking so much, and I think they talked about, yeah, they talked about this in the We Can Do Hard Things episode with Dr. Becky, but I've been thinking about this for a while. Like when I would talk to my therapist about things coming up at work and how personal it could feel, She'd say, you know, focus on the action. Oh, you don't want me to do it like that? Okay, you want me to do this. Okay, Mm -hmm. I understand. A certain level of it's not personal. We are human beings and that's real. And we have relationships and those are real. But there's a level of like, this is not a reflection of who I am. Mm. This is a a task that I'm doing to the best of my ability. But to me, I'm constantly seeing things in terms of I'm a good or bad person Mm -hmm. if I do it right or wrong. And if I'm bad, if I'm wrong, I will be punished Mm. because the world is – that's the way the world works. Mm -hmm. It's all about punishment and reward. But that's I'm I'm like it's like this veil is slowly kind of mm-hmm. getting pulled away. And it's not that there aren't consequences for actions, but that's different. Yes. Than constantly living under this threat of punishment. Yes. And different from equating any uh shortcoming with worthiness right right like you can fall short at something with at work we we will fall short at stuff all the time but that's separate from whether or not i'm a good person right i think what i was trying to get at with the squawking (laughs) was, (laughs) was more around i can speak for me being raised or somewhere along the way, adopting a very much a good girl persona. Um, and 
somewhere along the way, shutting down my voice. Yeah. And not just in terms of voicing opinions, but literally my voice, mm-hmm. speaking very quietly, um, not like yelling or making waves or um, being disruptive in class or – I mean, I don't remember really – yelling as a child. I I imagine I did, but I don't have memory of that. And I just remember my my mouth shutting down. I remember um, being very, I was very shy. So I was just very quiet. And then I would get to know, like my friends, I would be regular, but in new situations or in class or things like that. And developing this very polished persona. And I tell the story in one of my courses of of how I started to break through that in college, end of high school into college. But I think about geese squawking and if someone said to me, start squawking right now, let me hear you squawking, I would be like, no, no. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. And so you do not have to be good. It's like to me, you don't have to be in a box. You don't have to be quiet and demure and polite all the time. Yes, we're still going to strive to be kind and respectful. Absolutely. But there's something in it of like the fact that she, the whole poem is called Wild Geese, right? And so on some level, we must be those wild geese, right? If we're going to read it like a dream and all parts are reflecting parts of ourselves, what if I am the wild goose? What if I'm the one that gets to fly free. So there's the freedom again, right? The freedom of choice. Where do I fly? The freedom of voice. I don't know. Does it make sense what I'm saying? Oh, I love what you're saying. And it's it also really resonates because at our meetup, a, a topic of conversation was also this, this fear around speaking. Yes. Period. Yes. Which we did another bonus episode about, but it came up again and mm. this fear of saying the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing the wrong way. And I I I think it's true there is a very literal tangible element to it of I also was so quiet as a child, not necessarily at home with my siblings, but like at school, around my peers. And I can't remember if I've talked about this on the podcast, but when I was 10 or 11, I took singing lessons with a vocal teacher. Mm-hmm. And my older sister is a great singer, a very like soulful voice. And she also took lessons with this teacher And the teacher said to me one day, I feel like you're holding back. And he said, I just want you to know that just because your sister's a good singer, it doesn't mean you can't be too. Mm. And I just sat there like (laughs) stone-faced. 
And then mm. when he left, I went upstairs and sobbed. Yeah. Yeah. And that's almost like the opposite. Like, you can be good. Mm. You can be good at this thing, too. Mm. But in a different way, of course. But he was saying, like, you can be good, too, just because that person's good at it or that person's even better than you. He used to always say to us, there will always be someone better than you. Mm -hmm. But you can be good, too. What made you sob? Oh, he just, like, saw it in me. Like, he just – I did feel like I was holding back, but I didn't know why. I struggled to, like, get enough breath. I really struggled with my breath from a very early age. Like, I couldn't project. I could never sing loud enough. Mm -hmm. And it was frustrating. My voice sounded tired a lot, and I didn't know why. And – it was painful sometimes to compare myself to my big sister and not feel good enough, yes. not feel good. It's so interesting that you're telling this story. I think it was just two days ago. It was very recently. I was driving with Asher somewhere and I started singing along or just singing. I don't even think anything was on. And he turned to me and he said, you have a really nice voice. Mm. And I was like, really? Thank you. And I said, you know, Asher, I have a story about my voice. And it's very similar to your story, Victoria. I loved singing as a kid. And um, our elementary school music teacher, Miss Dennis, she led a chorus and she invited me to be in the chorus and she heard something in my voice and she invited me early. Um, I think you had to be in fourth grade and she invited me in third grade or something like that. Of course, this completely puffed up my, my perfection. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was thrilled. And I sang in the chorus for those years. And then in sixth grade, I met one of my best friends, Jessica, who's still one of my best friends, um, 40 years later. And she has, she's extrovert. She has a beautiful voice, um, very much like your sister. And she, Miss Dennis, the music teacher, put us together to do a duet. It's actually how we became best friends is because we were paired together mm. <laughs> to do a duet from Annie. Um, hey, Hobo Man. Hey, Dapper Dan. That was our duet. <laughs> <laughs> and we rehearsed and we, we got together after school and we became best friends through singing that together. And then came the show. I guess it was like a recital. It was a whole bunch of people doing, I guess, different songs. And we got up to the microphone and she – I couldn't project either. I, mm. I I was quiet. She was like all out there and all her magnificence and I was held back. And I felt so humiliated after that that I – never sang again. Mm. I really stopped singing for decades. And it was only recently, and I think I talked about it in the turning 50 of reclaiming my voice and some of that being my literal voice. And so 
even that, you don't have to be the best. You don't have to be, you don't even have to be a good singer to sing, right? You don't have to, doesn't matter about the good in this situation. You only have to do what you love. It's like one of the things I love about the five rhythms dance, which I started to do in my 20s, is that it has zero to do with technique. There's no mirrors. It's not Mm. following instruction. It's just following your body. It's letting the soft animal of your body love what it's literally what it is. Love what it loves. And following and eyes closed for a lot of the time. And it has nothing to do with being good. Right. Nothing to do with being a good dancer. In fact, the more trained people are as dancers, the harder time they have just letting go. You can see like the ballerinas in the room. And it's fine too because there's no judgment. You're not even really looking at other people. But they have to kind of work out that training to let their body move the way it wants to move and follow the rhythms and the music. And what if our whole lives could be like that? What if we could just let our bodies, our beings, our hearts follow the rhythm of who we are? We are like right at the end, but this is, can I tell one short story? Yes. This is just reminding me, kind of pulls these different pieces together. I also can't remember if I've told this story before, so I'm sorry if I have. (laughs) (laughs) You probably remember this, Cheryl. A couple of years ago, I decided to try to go to mass at a church near the apartment that I had moved into that year, which I'm still mm. in now, mm. this beautiful church, Catholic church. I just wanted to feel connected mm-hmm. and I wanted to experience something communal that felt sacred. And I went into the church. I sat down. It's this beautiful church and in a pretty wealthy area. And during the homily, the priest gives a homily about how the most oppressed people in this country are rich people. (laughs) He says, you know, rich people pay taxes, they give charitable donations, they do great things with their money, and they're the most oppressed people. And I wanted to stand up and scream. Mm -hmm. Like, I actually... (laughs) I I would like to scream right now. Yeah, I almost... I, I just wanted to stand up and be like, you know, expletive mm-hmm. you and just <laughs> instead I stood up and I just left. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote a long email to yes. The, yes. this priest just, again, respectfully explaining why I found his homily really upsetting and mm. really troubling mm. and disturbing. 
and why it would deter a young person like me, I was in my late 20s, from ever going to church again. Yes. And he wrote me a one-sentence response. (laughs) But it was really important for me to send that email. Yes. And I think that is an example of, well, as a good girl, you're not supposed to do that. You're Mm. not supposed to question authority or Mm. say, hey, that wasn't cool. Like, you know, do you know what the definition of oppression is? Because it's not that. (laughs) That actually felt like a really good thing to do. Yes. And important. Yes. Uncomfortable. Yes. And scary for me, Mm. but good and important. Yes. And it was my voice. It was your voice. (laughs) Yes. And it was also your body standing up and walking out. Yes. And then finding your way to use your voice and express your truth. Yeah. Amen. Oh, I'm mm. so I'm so blown away by the image of you are the, the goose. You are the geese. <laughs> you are I'm, the goose. You are the goose. Oh I want that on a t-shirt. I'm gonna be carrying that with me. Like you are the wild goose. I'm wondering if you can just read maybe those two lines. Yeah, about the goose as we close out. It's a couple lines, but but let's you know what? Let's just go for it. (laughs) We're living on the edge, Victoria. Let's live on the edge. This is what living on the edge looks like for us. This is us. This is us testing, (laughs) breaking rules. I am the goose. (laughs) Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. Thank you, Cheryl.